how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. In 1930s Sweden, a young reindeer-herding Sami girl faces racism and prejudice. To fit in at boarding school, she wants to leave her rural roots and break all ties with her culture, but her actions threaten to tear her family apart. The movie Sami Blood was written and directed by Amanda Kernel, and it's her first feature film. To date, has collected 10 awards at film festivals and been nominated for many more, while the short film it was based upon, Story of the Air, was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. We got to sit down with the writer-director to discuss the importance of conveying how a situation feels, filming in a language only a few hundred people speak, and the extraordinary casting process for her film. The print version of this interview is also available at creativescreenwriting.com. My mom uh, had a theater education when I grew up, so I always loved to be in that world. And thought I would do something within theater, maybe direct, maybe act, maybe something as a child. And then I had work practice with a great Swedish director called Susan Osten uh, when I was 15. And she works a lot with, uh, she writes too, and she works a lot with personal stories from her own life put together in different ways. I mean, they could be any genre, but like she works a lot with her own material. And seeing her directing and working with her material and having so much fun while doing it, I guess made me want to do the same thing. And also that you can, like all these questions that you think about in your own life anyway, and you're lonely with them, like a lot of, you know, family secrets and shame and, um, things that are hard to talk about, making them into art, you will be, you know, suddenly you're less lonely with those questions and, you know, you can play with them and you can talk about them and explore them. And so um, I guess that's how it started, yeah. And then I started making shorts when I was 18, 19, and writing them and directing them and then started screenwriting for two years and then directing for four years at um, the National Film School of Denmark. Where did the idea for Sammy Blood come from? Well, I there are elders in my family who strongly reject Sami people and speaks quite badly about them. Uh, but they are Sami themselves, and I always known that. 
Uh, but now they're Swedish and uh, now they want nothing to do with their past and we can't talk about it. So, uh, and then the rest of my family are Sami, most of them, and, you know, work in ranger herding today. So I grew up with both sides and um, all these things that we can't talk about. And I, and I always wondered, you know, can you really become another person and what happened to this generation? Cause there's so many who left, you know, and some, you know, changed their names and maybe I mean a lot of people don't I think don't didn't tell their children where they were really from so a lot of people might not even know that they have family parents or grandparents um and you know I wondered what what happens to you if you cut all ties with your family and your background your culture and for this generation like what does it do to you to grow up in a time where you were seen as an inferior race? Like, how can you not internalize that? And how do you, you know, sort of defend yourself against that? Or, you know, keep your dignity in such a system? So um, that's how it started. And then I started making interviews with them, those who stayed and those who left. So this film is really like a declaration of love to this older generation, both sides, like those who left everything and those who stayed in, like, Reindeer herding is a more traditional lifestyle. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess that's how it started. When did you decide to, you said you started with some personal interviews. When did you decide to make the storm a fictional story versus a documentary? Oh, I don't do documentaries. So that is never, that's never been an option. No. Um, that's not, like, I'm... I didn't. I, I didn't want to make like an educational film about what happened uh, in this time period. I mean, of course, I wanted the details to be correct because it hasn't been told on film before, and we don't even read about this in school, like uh, the the boarding school system we used to have, and the State Institute of Race Biology, and how they saw the Sami people, and what happened to this generation, and the internalized racism. I that's a part of it, but in making films, I'm more interested in, you know, how do you make an image that conveys what it feels like rather than how it was or how it is. It's more how it feels. Yeah. So I'm, I was more interested in, like, the memories. and Yeah. I mean, making a good story about where you should sit on the edge of your seat and, and um, it should be as, you know, violent and and beautiful and grandiose as it, as it feels like growing up i think with the la- so you can use the landscape and all those things can you speak a little more about the connections with uh the reindeer and the sami people for those unfamiliar with the culture yes um, it's very central central to sami culture but then there's like a a misunderstanding that has been going on for a long time that Sami culture is only about reindeer herding. And all Sami people were not reindeer herders um, and are not. So there were also like fishing Samis, like sea Samis, they're called, and forest Sami people and like hunting. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the the traditional way of living is nomadic and you move with the reindeer <clears throat> to to the coast uh, during winter and up in the mountains 
during summer. And um, yeah, your life followed the reindeer. I mean, it's a whole mindset. Like it's a, that becomes a long story. Because it's like, I mean, there's also like a religious side and to it and everything. But I, I mean, the film is not about reindeer in that sense. So the main characters are speaking a language that only, I've read only a few hundred people still speak this language. What was the casting process like for the main characters? Yes, I wanted to make I wanted to make the film in South Sami because that's the language that I speak. There are nine Sami languages, and this is one of the smaller ones. So there are about five hundred fluent speakers. Of course, there are many more South Sami people, but because of our politics, where we had these residential schools until the nineteen sixties, where you only spoke Swedish, um, you were only allowed to do that. I mean, a lot of people don't speak the language anymore and a lot of like this older generation many of them have chosen not to teach their children and have stopped speaking the casting process i started two years before shooting because i wanted preferably real sisters and in this language with so few speakers and i wanted them preferably to um be sisters who have been growing up within you know the Sami community in reindeer herding because i wanted them to be able to use a knife to use a lasso, to, you know, know the craft. And I mean, it's a difficult craft. It takes a lifetime to learn. So I wanted all that to be right and then speak the language, of course. And then I wanted them to have this kind of um, strength and dignity and integrity um, that I see, like, that I've always admired and that I see, all like, the older women in, in my family have. It's incredible strength. Like we say that they're made out of titan or that they're like the mountain birch. Like they, you know, the small birches that grow on mountains, they never break. They just bend. So I wanted to find like the Katniss, Katniss Everdeen in the Sami region. <laughs> and then actually someone told me from the beginning, you know, like, oh, if you want a Katniss Everdeen, speak South Sami. Like, she, I know her. Her name is Lena Cecilia Spark and she lives in Norway. Um. And fortunately, she has two sisters, actually, who are really good actresses, both of them. So the difficult part was to choose which sister couldn't be in the film. Uh, so I was I was um, very lucky. It seemed like an impossible, um, that I had some impossible, uh, what do you say, uh, but I wanted the impossible. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I mean, and then of course, when you for a main character, I mean, as a director, you want someone whose face you will remember forever, and that's not just a good actress, but someone who who stays with you. So, and I really admire them both. Like they're so, and they they do it so wholeheartedly. Can you say that? Like fully. Like they. When they got the parts, both of them said, we can do this. Like, we read the script. They don't want to be actresses. Like, they want to work in reindeer herding. But they say, we can do this, but we can't cry. So if you want someone to cry, you should go look for someone else. Because um, they're boarding school kids. I mean, they the, have been and are in, like, the boarding, the family boarding school of today, which is different, of course. But still, I mean, you can't show your weakness. You have to be strong because no one will come and get you if you just lay down crying. So, um, but I think that was the right spirit for the characters too. 
And then I said, you know, for these two small scenes where you cry, because they hardly don't cry in the film, because they have to stay strong all the time. But I said, we can fake it. You know, it's, it's film, it's fiction. We can fake it. They were like, we don't do fake. If it hurts, it should hurt. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's the hard way. But, so that's how they, they're not doing anything fake. They were even suggesting, like, for, I mean, there's some scenes with knives and violence. They were like, why are we doing this in this stunt way? Like, we should, like, we should fight, <laughs> you know. So they're pretty hardcore. Well, that definitely brings a realism uh, to the film. Yes, and I, th- I, found, I, was, I was kind of scared making a period piece, actually, because I think, like, I wanted, it, I wanted people to feel that they were present in the room, kind of, and that it should be, like, raw and violent and not so polished. I think it can easily become, for some reason, you know, polished. <laughs> Both, like, the acting and and the way people look and, like, studio lighting or, you know, whatnot. So um, I really tried to make it, like, shoot it on location using, you know, fog and smoke and water and all the mosquitoes and flies and dead reindeer and blood and um so you've yeah so you you feel like it's happening right here right now and also that that you feel as violent in a way in a way like this lifestyle is and also like what it's like growing up as as a teenager i think that that's pretty violent for many of us but for most people don't have a knife you know or don't it's not as bloody maybe the girls are told um, they don't have the same skills as Swedish children. American audience have really only seen this type of cruelty with children in movies about uh, Nazis and Jews or slaves and slave owners. Were there some cinematic influences um, you drew to with writing the film, or was it all just historical? That's the way it was. Like what the, t- the what the teacher is saying is actually quotes from our parliament at the time, from the Swedish parliament. And that was, um, well, what people don't know, I mean, people see Sweden as um, kind of a role model country within human rights, and we were neutral in World War II, and and, and we were, maybe, but, um, uh, or kind of, but we had the first state institute of race, racial biology in the world, decided in 1922, and then inspired the Germans very much. I mean, they, they made the racial profiling cards that was used in the concentration camps and the whole system. And they made this, um, what we call skull index, Rex's index. It's how you profile short-headed people and long-headed people and inferior races and superior races. That's a Swedish um, invention. And... Um, uh, this head of of the State Institute of Race Biology. I mean, he had, of course, there were not just Samis who were inferior, in upon as inferior races, but he had a special interest in the Sami population because they were not, um, <clears throat> they lived, I mean, many people lived in these desolated areas, like rural areas up north, and wasn't that mixed. And he, well, you know, this, this I don't think this, science, so-called science, really made any sense, but they were seen both as a threat, so therefore they didn't want, like, mixed marriages, and um, if you were, 
before a second world world war two and until just after like you were not allowed to vote if you had rangers in your family you were not allowed to until late 20s to own or build houses these children in our residential schools um family children were the level of education was not the same as swedish schools so you couldn't get into the swedish system that was a part of a part of the politics at the time called a lap should be a lap the a lap should be a lap politic because uh, it was believed that like the frontal lobe was not um, developed, so like adults, families would have um, if you were a reindeer herder, you would have a guardian from the state like telling you, you know, how many reindeers you can have, how to take care of them, what you you know, come and say that you have to tear down your house if you build the house and so on, where you should put your children to school, decide all kinds of things for you, and in the schools. They were not allowed to eat with forks and knives, um, not to sleep in linen. Like I just said, if they, um, in our parliament, they said, like, if they uh, if they get, get a taste for civilization, they will be drawn to it, but they are not fit for that. Like, they will not be able to handle that, and it will be their death. So, so yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but we hardly know this in Sweden, this part of our own history. Um, we don't read about it in school, but it's a big discussion now, though, that it should be in the curriculum. Mm. So yes, it's very much connected to like the Nazi racial profiling, but that's very much because I mean they um, wrote a lot of books in German, uh, and then the State Institute of Racial Biology in Germany was like a came later and was very much inspired by the Swedish one. And they had like a lot of cooperation. You know, just drawing attention to the history or just showing the way things have changed over the years. Anything you'd like to talk about with the film? It was more about like this colonization of our mind <laughs> and internalized racism. And uh, well, I thought for a long time it was about shame. And maybe it is, but after seeing it, with the Sami audience, I I thought, no, maybe it's not. Maybe it's about dignity. Maybe it's about how to keep the dignity in a system where that is very hard. And how do you fight for that? And that, I I guess that's one of the reasons, more than that it is a coming-of-age um, film, too, how to be, how, who to be to be loved and how to be to be fit in and all that. that I think that's the reason why it resonates in a lot of countries and has been traveling so well, I guess, because people, a lot of people feel that it's about um, our situation in Europe today, how we talk about assimilation and integration. Um, and, you know, I, um, well, I'm very happy I've been able to make this one because it's like I have all these questions and then we kind of get them answered meeting an audience. Because I really wonder, you know, how much does the place you were born and the body you were born into and the family you were born into defines you or not? Like, can you free yourself from that? Or is that impossible? And if you can, what happens to you then? Like, who are you then? Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, 
how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.